Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 30 of my podcast, I Stand Strong. I am, as always, Teddy, coming at you from my bear cave in the concrete jungle of the beautiful Midwest now. Um, well, I say beautiful, but it's still pretty cold. Um, but anyways. Okay, let's see. Where was I last week? Oh, that's right. I rated the screen movies in order of how I liked them. Um, so yeah, that was, that was fun for me, uh, to kind of go through and think of how I would rank the screen movies, but, uh, hopefully you enjoyed listening to it. Um, this week I'm going to go a little different. Um, I was inspired after watching a movie that I had bought a while ago that I really liked after I watched it the first time. And it made me wonder, you know, made me kind of decide to talk about, my favorite heist movies. Um, cause there's something about a good heist movie. Just, you know, I don't know. Just, it, it gets me. So, uh, excuse me. I decided to decided I'd talk about some of my favorite ones. Of course, I actually did a little bit of research on this one and have like dates and whatnot and directors and whatnot written down. I don't know why I, finally I decided to do that, but I did. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, what is it about a heist movie that's just so much fun? Um, I mean, would I ever want to go out and rob a bank? No, but for some reason it's really fun for me to watch, you know, a cinematic adventure where people are stealing from other people. I mean, sure, usually the stealing, you know, the best ones, they're stealing from somebody who kind of deserves it, but... We'll get into that. Um, so, you know, I guess I guess I'll start with the one that that inspired me to want to do this topic, um, which is Den of Thieves from t- 2018. Um, this one's not really the you know they're stealing from somebody who kind of deserves it, but it's a really interesting movie. I mean, it is a heist film, but it's kind of also just an action film. But it also kind of balances a thing of like, who's the real bad guy? Because you have a group of people that are, you know, a group of criminals who are deciding to rob a, uh, rob the um, Federal Reserve, which has never been robbed. Um, But then you have like on the other side, you have this group of cops that are, you know, the major crimes unit in Los Angeles, which they're kind of not really much better people, you know, led by, uh, so I'll get it. Uh, okay. So it was directed by Christian Gudegast. I'm guessing, I don't know. I, I probably massacred that name and I'm sorry to the person. Um, but it stars Gerard Butler as the head of the, um, the major crimes unit. Then you've got, uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr. Who, puts in a great performance as kind of this kid that's kind of caught up in the middle of it. You know, like he's just a good driver. He's done some stupid shit. He's, but he's also, you know, done military time, but he's kind of caught in between this group of criminals who want him to be the driver for this gig and the cops who kind of put the pinch on him or Gerard Butler and his group who kind of put the pinch on him to, you know, get more information about the job. But then, um, I think it's got a really, really good performance by Pablo. I'm guessing it's Schreiber. Um, who he's an actor that I've kind of seen kicking around, but I've never really, you know, he's never really been a main character like he was in this one. I mean, there are other, uh, you know, Curtis, or I don't even remember his real name, 50 cents in it. He puts in a pretty good performance as like another one of the criminals. But uh, yeah, it kind of plays the line of like, who's the real bad guy? Are the cops the bad guys or are the criminals the bad guys? Because, you know, uh, Gerard Butler and his group are really kind of, they're very much like in the vein of Vic Mackey and his group and from The Shield where it's like, they're out there to do what they need to do. You know, they're going to get the job done no matter what it takes, but they're really not good people. Um, like, you know, specifically Gerard Butler. I mean, and it really does kind of do a really good balance of, you know, like he's, 
he's this hard-edged guy, but you know they do tap into showing some of his more you know humanity side because like in the beginning of the movie, his wife is leaving him with his two kids. Um, because I guess it you know it's kind of you know never says it, but it kind of gets across the point of you know you stare and you know stare into the darkness long enough, the darkness stares back at you. So he's kind of. He's kind of a piece of shit, and you know it. It really plays that um, plays that well, but at the same time, he's you know he's doing a job that really you know I don't think somebody who's really you know who's got a moral a good moral compass could really do the job well. Um, and that's what makes him good. But then on the other side, you have Lieb, Lieb uh, not Lieb Schreiber, uh, Pablo Schreiber. And his group, who are like all these ex-military guys who just happen to have the right, you know, like, abilities to be like the ultimate thieves. Um, and, you know, it it really plays a really good line of, you know, like, these guys are not necessarily bad people, but they're doing bad things. But, you know, it, it, you know, like I said, it's a really good movie. And like, I think that, uh, like I, I've been a big fan of O'Shea Jackson Jr. since, um, straight out of Compton. Cause I thought he played his own father really well in that movie, but he does a really good job as being kind of this person who's caught in between these two groups. But he also kind of, you know, it it it's one of those things where it's like, you know, he's he's the kind of the the good soul in between these two kind of darker darker sides essentially. But man, it it this movie just plays really well. I mean, the game of cat and mouse from the second Gerard Butler and his group get put on to the the task, you know, like get set the task of trying to take down this this group. Man, the game of cat, cat and mouse just gets fun to watch. Um, you know, just when you think that one side has the advantage, the other side kind of pulls a you know an, an ace out of you know ace in the hole kind of thing, and it really makes for a really good thing. And then, of course, the uh, the final sequence, you know, the 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 big finale sequence, like as you could say, takes place like in the middle of the freeway on. Uh, in in Los Angeles, as you know, this group is trying to get away with their haul, and Gerard Butler's like right on their tail, and his group are right on their tail. And I mean, it's this really big shootout with a lot of high caliber weapons, and it very much is kind of a you know alpha male movie in many ways at this point. But man, it it it's it's a good watch. Um, and yeah, for some reason, watching this movie made me think, you know, like, what are some great heist movies? Because it's so much fun to watch them. So, uh, yeah, I really suggest that. And that's, once again, uh, Den of Thieves from 2018. Um, yeah, can't say enough good things about it. Um, so I guess now I will go to one that's a little more fun. And once again, kind of the, to me, the, you know, stealing from somebody who kind of deserves it. And that's. I can't have a heist movie list without talking about Ocean's Eleven from twenty uh, two thousand one, um, directed by Steven Soderbergh, who's got a really great like stylish directing ability, you know, uh, directing style, you know, starring George Clooney, Brad Pitt, freaking uh, Andy Garcia, Matt Damon. I mean, huge cast to this one. Um, on top of the fact it just being a fun movie to watch. But this is one of them where it's like, you know, you watch them prepping everything. You get the, you know, kind of the, the feel of it. You know, as they put this, you know, it's, you know, George Clooney gets out of prison. Uh, Danny Ocean puts this, you know, he puts together this group because he has this idea for this really big haul. You know, and, and it's not just robbing one casino. It's robbing three casinos. But not only is it robbing these three casinos, it's also robbing the casinos of... I do not have Andy Garcia's name off the top of my head, but like he's known for just being this ruthless guy. But Danny Ocean wants to rob these three casinos. So he put, you know, he gets Brad Pitt, his like best friend, 
you know, and they put together their group of people with the right, you know, right skills to rob this, these casinos. And I think where this movie like stands out is one, the style, you know, the, the stylish feel to the movie, you know, but then it also has that great, you know, things happen. And then you kind of go back and you see what really happened. And that's where the movie really shines to me is, you know, this whole thing of, you know, yeah, you're seeing them pull this off, but are they really pulling off this heist? Um, and then it kind of goes back and you see how they get away with everything. And, you know, and, and Ocean's 12 and Ocean's 13, like I never saw Ocean's 13, but Ocean's 12 was kind of meh to me. So I never really paid attention to watch Ocean's 13. And then I will actually give a little bit of credit to Ocean's 8, the one with Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett and all that, because I actually thought that one wasn't bad. You know, I thought it was weird that they, you know, they just tried to shoehorn the Ocean name on it by making it, you know, oh, it's Danny Ocean's sister. But, um, but no, Ocean's 11 is, is one of those really fun movies. You know, I, I love the, the, the setups to, you know, being in Vegas, you've got a lot of that bright light, like bright neon lights. But you've also kind of got this hint of, you know, these, you know, the, the characters all feel very real. Even though some of them you barely get to know, like they barely really introduce some of them, but you, or they introduce them, but how's the word for it? They really don't get their own moments very often, but you really get this feel that everybody's this very flushed out character. And... You know, you, when you introduce Julia Roberts and you find out, you know, that his his old, you know, his ex-wife is now working, you know, is now married or I don't think she's, she's married, but she's working in one of the casinos and she's like dating Andy Garcia's character. And it makes for this like really great, you know, kind of swerve in the middle where it's like, oh, wait a second. Is he really about the money or is he trying to win back the girl? But it's oh man, it's it's such a fun movie. Um, Don Cheadle putting in puts in a hell of a performance with his Cockney accent. Oh god, or was it really Cockney? He's he uses the British slang. I don't know if it's actually Cockney or not, but man, he is he is really fun to watch in this one. Um, you know, and Matt Damon being you know a pickpocket. Who they you know they hire to bring in, and you've got a uh, Scott Con and Casey Affleck as these like these two brothers that just man they annoy the hell out of everybody, and but that's kind of their job is they're there to be that annoying pair that just kind of draw attention to where you need them to be kind of thing. So yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I really don't know. I, I'm trying not to spoil these movies because there are, of course, twists in some of them. Um, which you know, Ocean's Eleven, the twist is really how they pull the he how the heist really goes down, kind of thing. But, uh, but yeah, so Steven Soderbergh's 2001 masterpiece, Ocean's Eleven. Um, I've always meant to watch the old Rat Pack version one. But never got around to watching it, so maybe at some point in time I'll have to add that to my list and I'll watch it and I'll see how it compares to me to, you know, the the 2001 George Clooney version. Um, I'm sure it's probably pretty good because that, that group had a chemistry together. And maybe that's something else that made that one work is, you know, the Brad Pitt, George Clooney, all those guys, they really had kind of a chemistry with each, you know, playing off each other in the... The 2001 Ocean's Eleven. But, hmm, which one do I want to go to next? Um, I'll go to one that's a little bit more of a, a low-key heist film. Because I really think the heist could kind of be seen as like maybe a, a, you know, like a secondary feel to the movie by the end of it. Which is uh, Inside Man from 2006. Uh, directed by Spike Lee, which I did not realize when I was doing this. I mean, I love the movie, and I'm nothing against Spike Lee. Just you know, I just didn't realize it was a Spike Lee movie. Um, 
But it stars Denzel Washington, Clive Owen, and Jodie Foster. And in this one, it's Clive Owen, like, decides he's going to rob this bank. But he makes sure to get caught somehow. So, like, he's robbing the bank for the because he wants what's in some of the vaults. But then at the same time, like he, you know, you have Denzel Washington is outside of it. Like his own, I think he's like almost like a negotiator. He's trying to take him down. But then as a third aspect, you have Jodie Foster coming in. Who's, I don't really, I don't really know what to describe what her job is, but basically she's there to protect the interest, so to speak of somebody who owns one of the one of the lock boxes in this bank. Um, and so it be kind of comes this mystery of like, okay, he's robbing this bank. Denzel Washington's there, but what is so important that she's there to protect that's in this like lock box um, or safety deposit box, I guess is what the proper term for it is. And like I said, it's like the heist to it is kind of, secondary by the end of it, I think, with the story, with what is going, because it kind of becomes way more about what is what is in this safety deposit box that this rich person has somebody who's basically trying to guarantee that nothing gets found out. Like, you know, is there something super valuable in this? Is it something like evidence of some kind of something? And it just becomes this great thing. But you do have a little bit of a twist on how the heist is actually eventually pulled off at the end. But the majority of the movie is really just about this, you know, like what's really going on behind the scenes kind of thing, you know. Um, And I just remember, like, I haven't watched it in a while. So, like, I remember how it gets pulled off, and I can't even, to this point, I can't remember exactly what was in the safety deposit box. I just remember, like, brief little bits of it. And so it's one of those ones I, I really want to go back and rewatch, but I remember really loving it and thinking it had, the, a, you know, it, it really nails the landing, I think. Um, I mean, but then again, how can you go wrong with the cast you've put together? I mean, Clive Owen, I think can be really good in a, a straight-up action, like, cheesy action flick, like, shoot him up But I think he also puts in great performances, like, is as one of the assassins in the Bourne identity, he puts in a really good performance for a little bit of time he's there. You know, he he's a great actor. Um, Denzel Washington, I mean, multiple Academy Awards. Jodie Foster, multiple Academy Awards, if I remember right. So, yeah, it's just, it's a really good movie, but... You know, I put it on here, but yeah, the heist is kind of secondary in the long run, I think. But it is very much a heist movie. I even looked it up under, I even looked up heist movies on Google and this one came up. So I'm like, okay, at least I know somebody else considers it a heist movie. Not that it matters because whether it was or not, I was going to put it on this list. Um, okay, so now we've worked through three of them. Um, Okay, why not go here? We'll go to next to another really fun one. Um, once again, where the the you know the the group of criminals that are going to do the robbing are really great, uh, have like really good chemistry, and like they kind of each have their own you know unique skill set that adds up to being perfect for this, and that is the Italian Job from two thousand three. I'm not a huge Mark Wahlberg fan. I think he's okay here and there in movies. But this one, I love watching. This is one of those movies I could put on just... If I just want to have something fun to watch, I put this movie on. You know, uh, Mark Wahlberg, uh, Charlize Theron, Edward Norton playing the shit heel. Donald Sutherland's in there at the beginning is kind of like the, the mentor to Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, Moss Mostef um playing a real fun character. Uh Jason Statham plays Handsome Rob, one of my favorite performances he's put on because he's just he's kind of sleazy, but he's awesome at the same time. Seth Green and his whole argument on how he's the real Napster. I mean, it's 
it's just great. I mean, the, the you know, the, it's an easy setup. Um, I should probably get into that. It was from 2003, directed by F. Gary Gray, which was another one I didn't really, really, I didn't really realize it was him. Um, I, I know the name on him, and I know I've seen other movies of him, but I can't remember what they are. But this movie once again has a style that really works for it, but also the setup of it works. I mean, you've got, you know, Donald Sutherland in the beginning. They're in. Uh, I believe it's either in Italy. <clears throat> well, yeah, because it's the Italian job. Um, but they're in Italy, and they're gonna, you know, steal this this gold, and they've you know they've got the setup, and they get the gold, but then Edward Norton betrays them and decides, you know, why split the money when he can take you know take it all for himself, kind of thing. So he pulls the double cross, which you can kind of see coming from a mile away because he just like the mustache alone tells you he Edward Norton's going to be a shit heel in this movie. But he uh, see so he pulls the double cross. He ends up killing Donald Sutherland. Thinks he kills everyone else, and leaves with you know leaves with the gold. So then it flashes forward, and you pick up with Charlize Theron, who's Donald Sutherland's daughter. She's a safe cracker, a professional safe cracker, but she uses her abilities more for like testing out these, you know, these locks that people say are uncrackable. And, you know, she gets hired by the police to break into safes when there's probably, I'm guessing, you know, they, they don't really explain like what the crime scene she's on in the first, the beginning of the movie is, but she's on some kind of crime scene and she cracks the safe, but she never looks in to see what was inside of it. Um, Mark, Mark Wahlberg comes to her to tell her basically they found Edward Norton's character and they're going to basically steal this money back. And at first she's hesitant, but then she decides she's going to help, jo- you know, she's going to join them because she wants to get back at the man who killed her father. And what follows is just a really fun movie i mean you know like i said all the all the characters interactions are are really great you know um you know the scene where they reveal that they're all still alive to edward norton is just this great moment but then you have you know just you know hands like i said handsome robin and uh seth green's character going back and forth like i think they have probably some of the best rapport just because you know like you know, the scene where they need to steal the cable uniform and van. So Handsome Rob's talking up this female uh, female tech for the company. And Seth Green's sitting, in the, sitting back in a truck just watching it all happen. He's like putting his own words into Handsome Rob's mouth. And it's just this great moment. Um, but it's another one where it's like the the heist itself is just fun to watch i mean through driving you know driving mini coopers through you know old subway tunnels and you know doing you know like you know edward norton trying a shell game at the end or you know the little things that just really work but at the same time it's like i said it's just a fun movie to watch like I, you know, I don't need to, you know, I don't even need to watch every second of it to know what's going on. And maybe that's, maybe that's a downside to some people. To me, I, I just love it for every second of it is fun. You know, it's got some good twists and turns, but it's also just got that, that feel good moment of, you know, they're robbing a shit heel in the long run. I mean, yeah, they were stealing money. They were stealing this gold from, you know, they didn't, they never really make it clear who they stole the gold from originally, but you know, at the end, you know, stealing it from, you know, stealing it from Edward Norton really makes it this, this great, uh, you know, this great feel good moment kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, I mean, once again, it's another one I feel like you can't really talk about heist movies without, you know, talking about the Italian job. Another movie though, that I've never seen the original, um, I've always meant to see the, I want to say it was like seventies or eighties movie with Michael Caine. Um, I could be wrong on the year on that. I mean, it's, I know it's an older movie. I know Michael Caine was in it. 
Um, and I want to say they actually have a clip from that movie actually in the newer Italian job, but you know, it's, it's stylized, you know, you get the, the flashbacks to who each, each person is that really kind of flushes out their characters. You know, you figure out why most deaf is called, uh, left ear, you know, with Seth Green's character, you find, you know, you get the whole story of how he believes he's, he, you know, how he created Napster, but, Sean Fanning stole it from him and he called it Napster because Seth Green was napping when he stole it from him where, you know, uh, is it Sean Fanning? Is that really what the guy's name is? I can't remember the guy's name that created Nap that created Napster, but you know, he said he was called, you know, he calls him, called it Napster because he has nappy hair underneath his hat, but Oh man, it's so much fun. That and like, you know, hearing them all describe like what they're going to buy with their gold, you know, like, of course, Handsome Rob is a driver, you know, he wants to buy this really badass Ashton Martin Vanquish and Seth Green wants to buy a, buy a stereo so loud it'll blow girls clothes off and, you know, most Def wants to buy a house in, I think it's like Spain with a whole room just for his shoes and all that kind of stuff. And it's this really fun thing. But then, you know, when you do see what Edward Norton's done with this money, like, it's kind of funny because he's had no inspiration. You know, he's he's not even original. Like, he just bought what everybody else wanted. Um. So, yeah, it, it's... It's hard to describe. It's hard to talk about. It's like, I find it really hard to talk about, like, what I love about movies sometimes. And it's really weird. Um. So, yeah, Italian job, you know. I'm pretty sure anybody listening to this has probably already seen it, but if you haven't, you owe yourself to watch it. It's a fun one. I mean, Charlie's there and alone. <laughs> um, but okay, we will now move on to. Well, I'm burning through these pretty quick. Um, okay, here's here's one that I have actually just recently watched. Like, in the last year I watched it, I'd, I'd seen, like, the end sequence of this movie so many times, like, on basic cable. Or as Michelle would call it, I'd see the TNT version. Um, but that's 1995's Heat, directed by Michael Mann. First movie to star Al Pacino and Robert De Niro who are going to be on screen at this, or I should, maybe I should say it that way. First time Robert De Niro and Al Pacino were on screen together because yes, they were both in Godfather part two, but they, you know, De Niro was playing the, the flashback stuff of Vito Corleone coming up while Al Pacino was doing the, the Vegas stuff with Michael Corleone. Um, which I will, you know, really quickly put in that the, the Vito Corleone stuff, half of that movie really good to me the vegas stuff with al pacino not so great but maybe that's for another podcast i will another episode i will talk about my my feelings on the godfather part two but anyways um you've also got val kilmer uh is it is it shirley theron in that one too i can't remember who plays Val Kilmer's girlfriend in that one. I want to say it is. It's either Ashley Judd or uh, Charlize Theron. I can't remember which one. But wow, I didn't do that research. But you also have like a bunch of other actors. You got uh, Dennis Habert. Habert, I believe is what his name is. Um, from, you know, like 24. He played the president in the first couple seasons of 24. Um, you've got... Uh oh Jesus Criminy. I just had his name and I lost it. Oh well, doesn't matter. Um Michael Sizemore. Michael Sizemore pops up in there. I mean it's it's got a I want to say Danny Trejo's in it. I mean it's got a big cast. Uh really young Natalie Portman uh plays Al Pacino's like uh kind of daughter. I think she's actually like the uh, like the daughter of his wife, but once again, a great cat and mouse, you know, cow and cow, cat and mouse, you know, game between Robert De Niro, who's heading up the, 
you know, the group of people that are going to, you know, try to rob, from what I remember, it's just a big bank. Um, it might be the Federal Reserve in that one, too. Don't remember. But then you have Al Pacino on the other side, who's like a cop who, you know, just dedicated to take down this this group. Um, and this one really kind of plays with a little bit, once again, with the, you know, are these guys really bad guys just because they're robbing banks or what? Because, you know, Dennis Habert, I remember he gets out of prison at the beginning and he's trying to get himself, you know, trying to keep himself clean. But, you know, he realizes that, you know, the the uh, the place he's working uh, during his parole is kind of like, you know, the, the person's like taking a big chunk of his pay, you know, to, you know, to take him on kind of, you know, and it's like if he doesn't give up so much pay, the guy's going to like basically say he's doing things to get him thrown back in prison. So you kind of see a little bit of the corrupt system as well as seeing the fact that these guys, you know, maybe these people are just, you know, it's, it's the only thing they know kind of thing. But, you know... Val Kilmer puts in a really great performance. And of course, you know, this is another one of those movies where it's like the end sequence, like, you know, the shootout in the streets. It's hard not to know that scene. I mean, it gets brutal. Once again, similar, like really Den of Thieves, I guess you could say in some, in some aspects pretty much is like a more modern day heat because yeah, you have, they pull off the job, but then it ends in a shootout in the middle of the streets. Um, where lots of heavy gunfire going off. In fact, I remember it being like deafening to watch this movie at one point. Um, but then, like I said, you really do kind of dig into the the more, you know, what's the word for it? Uh, like kind of like just the lives of these people. Like, I mean, Al Pacino, yeah, he's a cop, but he's... It's all he's known, so it's like it's killing his relationship with his wife. But he's really close with, you know, his his wife's daughter, played by Natalie Portman. But then, you know, but their their marriage is kind of on the rocks because he's really married to his work. But then, you know, on the other side, you have Robert De Niro, who this is going to be like his final score. He just wants to hit this score so he can you know, disappear and he falls in love with this, uh, falls in love with a girl and, you know, out of nowhere. And he decides he's going to take her with him. All he has to do is pull off the score and then he's going to grab her and they're going to get away. And Val Kilmer's, uh, you know, he's got a gambling problem and yeah, I think it's Ashley Judd in this one. Um, you know, he's he's married to Ashley Judd, but they're they've kind of got a very toxic relationship in many ways. But you can still tell they love each other, but they're just you know, they're both kind of broken people and it makes it hard for them to, you know, really be like on the straight kind of thing, you know, like not be abusive towards each other. Um but yeah, no, it, it's you know, really intense. Um, I don't know if I said it was directed by Michael Mann, um, which I think this is the only movie I've ever seen by him. Uh, that's just a weird side note. Um, but yeah, no, Heat, I mean, it's... I, th- I think the scene that's, the scenes that stand out the most to me are one is the, the sequence with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and they both know who the other one is and they sit down and have, I think it's like coffee or they're having a drink or something like that at a, I can't remember. I just remember it's at a restaurant and they sit down and it's the first time they've been on screen together and they have this great conversation. That's pretty much coming down to, you know, they respect each other, but they're going to do what they need to do for their job kind of thing. Um, and it makes for a really tense conversation, but at the same time, it's really interesting to see how much Pacino legitim- Pacino's character legitimately respects 
this guy that's you know pulling off these jobs, but at the same time, he's still respect or not, he's going to take this guy down when he gets the chance. But he knows he can't do it until he catches him in the act. And then you have De Niro, who you know, who respects this this cop that's basically thrown his life into this, and like he's caught some really great you know groups of people, you know, like gangs of criminals. But at the same time, you know, he wants this score. You know, this is his his white whale, so to speak. Um, yeah, it's it's a tense movie, but it's really good. I mean, I, I remember thinking it was a little long at points because, like, there's a lot of kind of stuff in the middle. But the more I think about it, the more I'm like, you know, it, it's okay that it has all that stuff in the middle because it kind of really gives you the character development to really care when you come down to the sequence where, uh, you know, Val Kilmer's, you know, the, I think he's the only one that really gets away after the heist. Like, I think Val, well, Val Kilmer and Robert De Niro both get, you know, get away with their money or whatever. And he's going to get Ashley Judd so they can get away because he knows that, you know, like, basically they can't stay there. But... As he's getting out of the car, he sees her on the, like, the patio, and she signals him, basically telling him, you know, the cops are there, don't come up. And he basically, it's basically this really heart-wrenching moment of, they've had this toxic relationship the whole movie, but she loves him so much, she's like, you can't see me, you know, you've got to get away. Just go. But at the same time, there's this look on his face, like, he realizes he can never come see her again because the cops will, you know, it's, you know, like basically now she's kind of there and he just, you know, turns around, gets back in his car and drives away. And it's this great heartfelt moment for a criminal. Um, and you kind of get the same things with Robert De Niro and that, you know, the girl he's, you know, he falls in love with and he's taking her away, but she really doesn't know what he does. And then he basically has to, you know, he's got her. I can't, I think they're at the airport when Al Pacino catches up to him and he basically leaves her so she won't be tied to him. And she sees him like turn and run away. And it's like heartbreaking to watch her because she doesn't understand. But then she kind of sees the cops chasing him and kind of puts together that something's probably not on the up and up. But. Yeah, it's it's a good one and it 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 really delivers on a lot of things. So once again, if you if you haven't like with all these movies, if you haven't seen them, at least give them a shot. I mean, like this one this one's a classic for a reason to a lot of people and I I can definitely see why people like it and I really need to give it another couple watches to really digest a lot of the stuff that happens in it. Cuz like I said, I've only watched it once. But it was it, it stood out. I can see why people like it. I can you know it, it's definitely a more serious heist movie. It's not like you know Ocean's Eleven or uh, Italian Job, but and it's definitely one of those ones where you, you do know that the, the the criminals are kind of the bad guys. But you because you get those human you know more human moments from them, you kind of do get the or more personal moments. Maybe I say you get you do have a little bit of feeling for them. And I think that's, that's always important. You know, the whole thing of, you know, the, the villain should kind of be the hero of their own story kind of thing. Um, yeah, I'm almost out of ones I put down here. Good thing. I have some extra ones in my head. Um, so for my last one, I'm going to kind of, this is kind of a, a bending the rule of a heist because it is a heist film, but it also gets in me talking about something a little more geeky, and that is Rogue One, a Star Wars story from 2016. Wow, is it really 20? Wow, it is six years old already. I would not have thought of that. Um, directed by Gareth Edwards, starring Felicity Jones and Diego Luna, as well as you know Mads Mikkelsen and various other really good actors. I think Ben Ben Middleson I think plays a pretty good part in that one. Um Ooh, Forrest Whitaker. But um 
Yeah, this is this is you know what could be what could be better a heist film in the Star Wars universe, and you know I feel like this one should also be saying praise because it's probably the best of the Disney produced Star Wars movies yet. Um, you know it was I remember when I first heard oh they're doing a movie to explain how the Death Star plans got to Leia. Um, and thinking, oh God, that could be really bad. You know, there's some things you don't need to explain, but after watching this one, I'm glad they did it. You know, this movie does really well, um, at a lot of things. Uh, I love the idea that, you know, you have, uh, Felicity Jones character is the daughter of Mads Mikkelsen, who is basically, he created the Death Star, but realized the weapon he was creating and he takes his family and runs away before it's finished, knowing they can't finish it without him. But then the Empire comes and get you know finds him and takes him and kills his wife, but takes him to finish the Death Star. But then it flashes forward to she's you know she's grown up and she's kind of a you know she's not really a a, a, a straight you know, straight on the up and up person. She's kind of a scoundrel character and she gets broken out by essentially the, the rebels to help her steal back, you know, steal the plans for this death star because they got notice from uh Imperial pilot, basically that the plan, like that basically uh, I do not, uh, Galen Urso, I think, is the name of Mad Mickelson's character. Had basically, as he was creating the the Death Star, he created a weak point in it, and he wanted the plans to get to them so they can destroy this thing, which also takes and covers up one of the biggest plot holes in the original Star Wars, which is why would you create this weapon with such a a freaking glaring weak spot to it? Like, why would you create a, a thing that all you have to do is shoot a, a freaking missile or whatever down this this one pipe and it blows the whole, you know, causes a chain reaction that blows the whole damn thing sky high. And it finally gives an explanation to that. And I really liked that. But I also just love the group of characters. Um you know, Andy Tudyk or Tudyk or how you pronounce his name, you know, playing, uh, playing the robot. I, I love his, his just dry matter of fact statements on stuff. Uh, Diego Luna does a really good job. Um, you know, Saul, uh, Saul Guerrero played by, uh, Forrest Whitaker, you know, he's kind of the, you can kind of see him as the Obi-Wan kind of character at certain points. But I don't know. It's it's a really... It really kind of becomes a heartfelt story as well as being this, you know, this heist of, you know, they're going to steal the plans from the, from the Empire and get them to the, you know, get them to uh, the Rebel Alliance... But you've also got these, you know, just th- this group of characters that are, you know, they're fighting for something. And, you know, and that's kind of something that really makes Felicity Jones' character stand out. Is at first, you know, she's, you know, she's this horrible person. Or she's not really a horrible person, but she's she's kind of a tough person. But she really doesn't have a purpose. And then, you know, when she finds out her father had basically is trying to sell out the empire on this, she kind of joins in with hopes of finding her father. Um, but then she kind of, she finds a purpose for her, you know, to, to devote her, her anger, I guess, her frustrations, her badassness towards, um, but then you know, getting getting introduced to like uh, Baze Malby and uh, oh god, Chirrut. I think it's Chirrut is what his name is. Um, the you know blind the blind guy who just you know the blind badass for lack of a better term. You know he. Oh man, it's just you know it's a great cast of characters. 
a great, great heist film, but at the same time, it's, you know, they're going into this mission knowing very well that the odds are they're not coming, coming back from it. You know, they know they're on a suicide mission. And I think that makes it a little more impactful. Like, you know, I've heard there were versions where, you know, uh, Felicity Jones and Diego Luna were going to survive. But I don't know if I wanted that ending. Because it's like, the way they put it, it just gives it much more impact. Like, they were doing what they needed to do to to set up a future, even if it meant, you know, they weren't coming back from it. You know, they, they weren't going to see the future they were, you know, they were saving. And it makes it really, really more impactful. Um, and still, one of the most you know, one of the most like heart wrenching points of the movie is watching, uh, the robot die. Like I remember when that happened in theaters, just gut wrenched from watching the robot die. And I I shouldn't have because, you know, it's, it's this, it's a, a piece of machinery, but you really grow to like, I think it's K2, K2SO is what his name was. Um, you know, like for his wry sense of humor and his, you know, matter of fact way of saying things, he becomes a great character. And then you watch him sacrifice himself to lock, uh, lock Diego Luna and, um, Felicity Jones, like lock the, like basically make sure that the door can't get open to where they are, buy them more time to get the plans and get them out of there. But man, and then you know Ben Mendelson, Mendelson, I think I can't, I don't know. You know he he plays a really good asshole. I mean he plays the guy that like kidnaps you know or, or takes Galen Urso back, but he also kind of fee, uh, serves as the main foil on the planet when they're stealing the stuff. Like you know there is kind of the last showdown between Felicity Jones and him. Uh, and it just, you know, he, he plays a really good asshole, but once again, he kind of believes like what he's doing is right. So it kind of gives him that, that little edge that he need that character needs. Um, I think the only downside to this movie was the, the face, the face stuff they did for like Grand Moff Tarkin was okay because of course Peter Cushing's long since dead, so they put his like they had an actor acting, but then they put kind of like a digital version of his face over the top of him. And sometimes it looked okay, sometimes it looked a bit rough, but it looked really rough at the end with um with oh god what's uh. Carrie Fisher, the really like young Carrie Fisher face. She's fine until she speaks. And oh man, it's like, you know, like second her mouth moves. It's so bad to me, but well that, and you also, I also forget you get the, I want to say this is the one where you get like the totally badass uh, sequence where the, you know, they're running down the ship, passing the plans side to side to, to like basically get these plans to Leia and Vader comes cutting into cutting in there and just goes full ham on these these rebel troops. Um yeah, I mean it's it works well. I haven't watched the show about Diego Luna's character yet on Disney Plus. I'm I'm behind on a lot of stuff like streaming wise, so but I've heard it's pretty good. Um to me, it's like I don't need that story, but I'll probably still watch it at some point in time, anyways. Um, yeah, dude, it's th- this movie. It's it's like it's perfect. It's a heist movie, but it's also a Star Wars movie that actually adds something to the series. Other, unlike mo- a majority of the stuff that Disney's put out, where I feel like it just doesn't add much to the the universe. I mean, Mandalorian excluded. The Mandalorian stuff, really good. But like 7, 8, and 9, I really kind of feel like those movies are, you know, I think 
I don't think time will be kind to them. I hope I'm wrong on that, but I don't think time will be kind to them on like what they add really add to the universe. Um, I'd really like to see Disney do something like do more stuff playing like deep in the lore of Star Wars. You know, like go back to the old Republic era. Like I'd love to see. Like, I know at one point in time there was talks of Zack Snyder doing, like, a Seven Samurai with Jedi, and I'd love to see that one. But please stay away from, like, anything that ties into, you know, the original trilogy. Like, I, I, I you know, and, and to me, like, the best trilogy will always be what are known now known as 4, 5, and 6. But when I grew up, they were just Star Wars, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back. And Return of the Jedi. Um, you know, I could take or leave all the stuff around it for the most part. Um, so, yeah, those are... see how much... Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, so those are some of my favorite heist movies. Um, with minor tangents on other stuff. Um, so, yeah, I will... I guess I will say now that um if you want to reach me you can reach you know reach the show you can reach it me at standstrongcast at gmail.com um yes feel free to email me with there it for you know questions comments if there's any heist movies i may not have put on here that are really worth watching please send them to me i will gladly watch more heist movies if you think I'm wrong about any of these ones, feel free to tell me. I, I love to hear other opinions. There's nothing better than hearing a contrary opinion to what I feel because maybe it'll make me notice something else I didn't notice about a movie. Um, but yeah, I will. So I will thank you for listening. I'm going to say, as always, say thank you to Spider for my art. Um, he really knocked it out of the park on my pick, the, you know, the thumbnail for my, my podcast. Um, one of these days I will get it made into t-shirts, even if I only make a couple, one for me and one for close people who've really kind of supported me in this. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess that's it. So I will say, see you in two weeks. Bye-bye.